I want you to grab your Bibles and I want you to turn with me to John chapter 13. We'll be there in just a moment. John chapter 13. As we finish our uh, fourth and final week of a series entitled Come Hungry, we've been learning some important truths that were found around mealtimes with Jesus. We've been pulling up a chair to the mealtime and pressing in just as if we were there in that scenario. And just like today, there's important things that happen around mealtimes. In Jesus' day, the same was true as well. By way of reminder, our first week we looked at John 6 and we saw Come Hungry, the menu. After Jesus fed the 5,000, the next morning they were hungry again for breakfast. And though Jesus taught on many wonderful things, they were more interested in what Jesus could do for them than who Jesus was. The question we asked and we help that God helps us answer is if Jesus is the only thing on the menu, is he enough for you? Without the butter and without the honey, is the bread of life enough for you? Would you feast on Jesus? Amen. We looked at our second week and we saw in Luke 7 that as we come hungry, there's some table manners. There's just some ways of doing things. There's some ritual that we have. And we saw in that passage that the Pharisee there who invited Jesus over to his house was doing it out of a religious duty. It was obligation. He'd been spending his whole life studying about the Messiah, and yet the Messiah was at his very table, and he didn't even recognize him. He didn't acknowledge him. Could it be that we're hungry enough for God, that we see that it's not about ritual that he wants or formality, but he wants an authentic heart to come hungry before him? Last week we saw... As we came hungry, there's dinner guests. When Matthew had an encounter with Jesus, he said, I've got to invite everybody I know to meet Jesus. So he invited some of the disciples and some of his old friends and hoped that some of this would rub off on them. We asked the question, is there anybody that we are inviting to Jesus? And today, we're going to close by looking at another dinner scene. And this is entitled, Dinner is Served. I don't know if you've been over to someone's house or you've been in a big party and You've been kind of killing time for the meal to be served, you know, making small talk. But those three wonderful words are announced by your hostess as she comes out smiling. Dinner is served. To someone like me who loves food, those are words of relief. I love to eat. Some of you say, I can tell by looking at you. I just enjoy a good meal. And if you think about what is a good meal to you, you can... You can almost taste it right now. You can begin to smell it and you can begin to imagine being in that moment. And, and we get excited when we say dinner is served. Now, I've had a meal with a few of you. And I'm just going to prepare the rest of you if I haven't had a meal with you yet. If you're eating and you've left food on your plate, I may just eat whatever you've left. Now, don't be offended by this. This is a stewardship issue for me. I feel like it's waste and I don't want you to waste it. No. We like to eat food together. There's something that happens when we do that together. But when we eat food together, we are often excited when we hear dinner is served because when we hear that phrase, we're thinking more about the dinner portion than the being served portion. When mom says dinner is served and you, and you run to the table, you're ready for what you get. You're not thinking about what you necessarily give. This is familiar in this passage that we're going to read here in John chapter 13 where they are thinking about the meal, they're not thinking about being a servant or serving somebody else. Turn your Bible with me to John chapter 13. I'll be reading the first 11 verses. Follow along with me. 
It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a a person who has had a bath, needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew was who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not every one was clean. Father, I thank you for your word that you have for us today. And I pray that you will open our hearts and minds to the truth that you have for us at this moment. I pray that we will not listen to any other words of any other man or any other thoughts of people around us, but we will zero in on what it is you have for us today. In your name I pray. Amen. Today I want to key in on that truth that Jesus was sharing at that mealtime. It was a truth of what it means to serve. Jesus thought it was important for his disciples to have an example of what it meant to be a servant. If I had to sum up, This morning's message in one sentence, if there was just one key thought, this would be it. Now, those of you who like to take notes, you're staring at a blank sheet today, and it frustrates you, I know. I'm in your personality, I've got to have an outline, but for the sake of what we're doing today, it may be a little bit different for me and for you to have a little bit more freedom. There's just a blank sheet of paper there, but you may want to jot this down at the top. If there was one key thought today, it would be this, the Christian's life should be synonymous with service. As Christians, our life should be synonymous with the life of service. When the world looks at Christians, we should be distinctive for one way in the way that we serve those around us. Not standing out for how self-centered or how focused we are on ourselves. Now, statistics, easy for me to say, statistics are very clear about the church and serving. There's been two or three well-known studies that come up with very similar statistics. And they tell us that it's nearly 10% of the church, and that's it, who will ever serve somebody other than themselves on a regular basis. About 10% on an average nationally, of those who go to church on a regular basis, 10% will regularly serve somebody besides themselves. 40% answer when asked, They'd be willing to serve, but they just haven't found something that intrigues them. They haven't found their niche. They haven't found where they really want to invest themselves. 50% say, I don't, I don't serve. I, I just, I don't plan on serving. I don't want to serve. I don't do that. 50% on a national average of those who attend church on a regular basis say, I don't do the serving thing. That's not for me. 
God help us. If we are Christians who are worshiping God and we're to be in the very likeness of Christ and Jesus says, I'm going to give you an example of what you need to know to go forward. You have to have the attitude and mindset of a servant. You see, that 50% of the church who walks in and walks out every week saying they won't serve. The other 40% who I think their heart may be right. But they're more concerned about if they found an area that interests them or they felt confident in than the act of serving. And then maybe 10% who are following Christ's example. Now that's an average. That's not a study done here on Grace Point. And, and we have a great laity who serve tremendously. Don't misunderstand me. But I believe that the truth is still true for us today. See, those 50% who walk out, they are spiritual infants. They would rather have the bib put on them than an apron. You know, if you're wearing a bib, you're planning on somebody serving you. If you're wearing an apron, you're planning on serving somebody else. And they come in and they go out with that bib. I want you to think about that question right now. Are you wearing a bib or an apron? Now, if you think about that bib, I have one here to help you see. Sometimes we we uh, we we think they won't fit. Now I have a uh, not so baby like neck anymore, like I used to. But we just kind of put it on and and we just say it's kind of tight, but I'll, I'll grow with it. And we have a, an attitude of a bib. Now, if you're someone who has an attitude of a bib, here's how you'll know. You'll say things like this because this is a the the property rights statements of a toddler. If you're here today and you're going to answer the question, am I wearing a bib, here are some things that you may be saying. If I like it, it is mine. If I can take it from you, it is mine. If I had it a little while ago, it is still, it's still mine. If it's mine, it must never ever appear to be yours because it is mine. If I am doing something or building something, all the pieces are mine, every single one of them. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If I think that it's mine, it's mine. If I wish that it was mine, it's mine. This is the attitude of the toddler who would wear a bib and we would say, I don't say stuff like that. Well, we begin to live our life as Christians expecting somebody to serve us, expecting somebody to get close to us, and expecting somebody to say that right thing to me. And we have tremendous persecution in the church. We walk around church waiting for somebody to say hi to us. And we make it home and only four people said hi to me today. It was hard to get beyond the bib. It was hard to break through your expectation for anybody to come serve you. I've invited them over to my house two times, and they've not invited me over to their house once yet. Great persecution we face. As Christians, we are putting on one of these two garments, a bib or putting on an apron. As we begin to think about where we are at, I want you to allow yourself to think again about that 40% who says, you know what, I'm willing to serve, but I just haven't found a place that fits my needs. When, when you're serving somebody, but yet you have all these conditions of what it takes for you to serve, I think it's important for us to ask, are we really serving? Or maybe better yet, who are we serving? 
Are we serving for us to have an extracurricular activity to be a part of that we are interested in? Are we serving so others will see us excel? And I would serve in that area, but I'm not very good at that. And if I'm not very good at that and I do that, people won't be impressed with me as much. See, Jesus is saying, disciples, before all the things that are going to be happening this next week, you need to know what it means to have a heart of a servant, to live a lifestyle of a servant. If you're in that 40% today, and those are national statistics, again, that's not for Grace Point. My prayer today is that God would stir your heart and you'd begin to look for ways to serve that has nothing to do with your interests Nothing to do with how it makes you look. For the 50% who would say, I, I just don't do that, um, I want to challenge you to not go to sleep yet, not fold your arms in disgust yet. You may do that later on. But to just say, God, if this is of you and not from some silly guy talking up there, would you begin to break my heart for what breaks your heart? Don't take it because I say it. Only take it if God is speaking to you. I'm praying that God would awaken us, that we would have a heart to be known as people who serve one another and people who are serving the community around us. Next, there's a, uh, another thing uh, before we get over to a key passage of Scripture in 1 Peter. Uh, there's a question about what basin you're living your life out of. Now, as I've shared with you before, and as we get to know each other better, you'll have more evidence and proof of this. I'm a simple guy. And I have a simple mind. And simple things help me understand. And so for those of you who are so far deeper than me and you're not as simple, then just bear with those of us that are. But when I read through Scripture and I see this passage in John 13, we read about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. I think about a basin in Scripture where Jesus washed the feet of the guys around him. It was a basin that was not one of high stature. It wasn't something that you gained all kinds of honor doing. It was a basin where it was to wash stinky, dirty, smelly, nasty feet. It wasn't this thing of, well, I've had all these credentials and now I've earned my way to wash people's feet. Anybody could wash someone's feet. I mean, how much training did it take to wash feet? There's dirt. It stinks. Get it off. Go on to the next part that has dirt and stink. Get it off. Well, I can't identify things very well. I don't have that gift. Look around. Do you see dirty, stinky feet? Get it off. And Jesus began to take the posture of a servant, and he took off his outer garment, and he poured water into a basin, and he began to do something that today we see as very humbling for a couple different reasons. I'm going to invite my wife, Carrie, to come on up here. She didn't know about this before, so pray for me after lunch today. I appreciate your prayers. I may need them. We'll find out. But today there's a humbling nature in having your feet washed because we don't do this one to another. And we begin to think, well, my feet should never be dirty. And, and, and what do they think about my feet or those kind of things? And, and I understand that, but that's a cultural thing that's today that wasn't then. They all had stinky, dirty feet. They all had feet that need to be washed. And that was a part of what would happen. And it was just what you did to serve somebody else. As we talked a week or two ago, that when you're washing feet, if, if there was a person of great importance there, then maybe the host would wash their feet. 
If it was people of equal stature, then they would have the servant wash their feet. But even the lowest person, they at least were provided a basin of water for them to wash their own feet. But Jesus says, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm your teacher. You're my disciples. Maybe you should wash my feet by the culture, but we're not doing that. So, so, so disciples get around close. Here's what's going to happen. I, I want you to know what it means to be a follower of me. Right at about this time, Peter says, Jesus, I've seen this scene before. What are you doing? Well, I'm going to wash your feet. Well, no, don't, don't wash my feet. Don't, don't do that. If I don't wash your feet, Peter, you have no part in me. Well, then dump the whole thing over my head and, and give me a bath, Peter. Not all of you is dirty. A servant doesn't just do it so he can be seen. He does it so he can get the stink and the dirt off. And, and, and I'm going to wash your feet. As Jesus began to wash their feet, they had a very real picture of what it meant to be a servant. The question today is, are we living out of this basin? I'll stay right here for a second, honey. As, as we live out of this basin, we are serving because there is a need that has to be filled. Because Jesus has called us to have an attitude of a servant. But in Scripture, there's another basin. Now don't leave yet, Carrie, and the rest of you get ready to pray for me a little bit more. I read in Scripture, and another basin that jumps out to me is Pilate's basin. He had water to wash for a very different reason. He was not so excited about a need that had to be met. The people came before him and said, uh, we want to crucify Jesus. Well, I don't know if you have the evidence to do it, but they're trying to crucify him, crucify him. And he says, I'm not getting caught up in your mess. This is your problem. This is your deal. If you want to crucify Jesus, I wash my hands of it. It's not my responsibility. I'm Free of responsibility. Now, the question for us today is, which basin are you living out of? We all are serving somebody. You don't have a choice not to serve somebody, but who are you serving? Well, Pastor Brady, how is that a part of my life? We see opportunities at home and we say, <laughs> I told you that would happen. I told you that would happen. If, if, you, if you would have just listened to what I said, you would never have got in that problem to begin with. I have done it more than you have. You, you want me to do that, then you go ahead and start. I have done everything that I know to do to help. Thank you, Gary. You can have a seat. There's a basin that we're living out of, and we may come back to those in just a moment. But the question you may want to jot down, are you living out of Pilate's basin, one that has excuses of washing yourself of responsibility, or out of Jesus' basin that says, I want to find a need and I want to meet it? See, all of us as Christians fall into one of these two categories. If you take your Bible and turn with me to First uh, Peter chapter 4, we'll be there in just a second. As you're turning to First Peter chapter 4, I think... Uh, to help us see the major difference. When we are living out of one basement or another, there's garments that we put on. There's preparation that we put on. You don't just slip into this at one point or another. And so maybe you have lived your life and maybe you have 
at church or at home or at work in the community, you have clothed yourself with intentions of being a celebrity. I mean, it, it looks like a baby, doesn't it? It looks ridiculous. But we don't think about how it makes us look. We think about what it does for us. Do, do we put on a bib of celebrity, expecting to be served, expecting to be noticed, expecting people to look at us? And, and this is an oxymoron. We don't, well, a celebrity, we don't wear a bib. It makes you look dumb. It makes you look silly. But friends, when Christ looks at us and we have an attitude of celebrity, it's so childish. It's such an infant way of living our faith. Or do we put on an apron ready to be a servant? We're going to talk in a minute about how you clothe yourself and how you prepare yourself to be one or the other. Servant or a celebrity. When I think about celebrity, it's kind of interesting that we see Hollywood and their fame and all their success. And it's amazing to me that we want all of that. There's something inside of us that wants to be noticed, that wants to be waited on, that wants to be taken care of that way. I'll give you one quick example of what's just kind of human nature to us. There was a study done, and many of you, if you do Thanksgiving shopping coming up, you'll, you'll remember this. One sociologist did a study. He went to a mall parking lot, and he studied how long the average person took when they identified their car to get in their car, to start the car, to get things set up, and to pull out and to leave. And when nobody was around, the average, the sociologist found out, was it was 32 seconds for the average person, once they found their car, to get in, get situated, and pull out and leave. But in this study, they also had another category of people who were waiting on a parking space. For those who found their car, and they went up to their car, and there was a line of cars waiting to pull into that space, the average for all those who were studied took nearly twice as long at 59 seconds. Well, what is this? There's something in human nature that says, this is my spot. You will wait for me. I see that you're there, but I may need to adjust my glasses. The only time I'm going to adjust my mirror, get the radio turned up right, because I will leave when I am good and ready. When I'm gone, you can have the space, but I'm here now, and I just like the fact that you are waiting on me. This is that attitude of wanting to be celebrity, of wanting to be waited on, wanting to be taken care of coming out, and it comes out in every area of our life. And church, I'm suggesting to you today that the church in America is plagued with this sin of selfishness and it's ripping the power of God from our community. Because we are so hungry to be noticed. We are so eager to be waited on. We are so eager to have things done our way that we stay in a bib of celebrity and we never put on an apron of servanthood. You say, well, Pastor Brady... uh, I kind of see that not just in lady, I see that in pastors. You're absolutely right. And it sickens me. One of the things that aggravates me the most, and if if you have a good friend who has this, I'm not talking about them, it just aggravates me, is when I go to a church and I see that there's those signs that say, uh, reserved for pastor so-and-so. And you may have a friend and they have that, and that's okay, that's between them and God, but that just nauseates me. Because where is that? parking space, usually right up by the door, right up close to the building. As long as you allow me to be a leader here, we will never have a reserved parking space for me unless it's in the back 40. What does it say? Well, well, this is reserved for the pastor. Another reason it aggravates me is when I get here, there's nobody else here. 
If I can't find a parking space, then there's a problem. And what's so nauseating to me is I think those type of signs we put up on our life, they're not really to reserve a space. It's to say, just know who I am. You may not have a reserved parking space at home, but we have all kinds of phrases, all kinds of things that we do to just know, know who I am. Just know who I am. Know who you're talking to. It was a couple of years ago when Caden was kind of understanding the concept of being a pastor and what that means. And as a kid, she discovered that her dad was the pastor and she could use that for a little bit of leverage somehow, she thought. And she was going around telling everybody, my dad's the pastor and he's the boss of you. <laughs> so at lunch, we had a talk and I said, Caden, it's true, your dad is the pastor, but that does not mean that we are the boss of everybody. It's true that you're the pastor's kid, and it definitely doesn't mean that you are the boss of everybody. It means that you and I get to be the first servants. So every time that next week that I thought of it, I said, hey, remember, I'm the pastor. You're the pastor's kid. Let's go pick up the trash. Pretty soon, she stopped saying that she was the pastor's kid. <laughs> but there's something in us that wants to be a celebrity, that wants to be waited on. And now turn with me to First Peter chapter 4, lest you think that this is just some good talk that has stirred up in my heart chapter 4 verse 1 of first peter therefore since christ suffered in his body arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who has suffered in body is done with sin see we're to have the attitude of jesus christ and he is calling us to serve now now some of us get this big idea that we are just suffering for jesus somehow when we serve jesus is not calling you to do anything that he hasn't already done you say well it's so hard and if you knew my situation really really but i mean it's it's a tangled web and, and it's really he died for you. He gave his very life for you. He was spit upon for you. He was kicked out of his hometown for you. Scripture said he had no place to lay his head. He was God who came and was fully God and fully man, humbled himself to be in your midst just to give you an opportunity to see if you would love him back. What Jesus has called us to, to have the same attitude of him, is not any different for you and I. First Peter 4, verse 7. Let's go to the next. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Now, he's about ready to share some, a list of things that we're supposed to do. The end is near. There's urgency in his voice. And these are the things that are supposed to happen. Let's, let's read on. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> I love that. You know, it's amazing the things we think we're serving, but then we totally undo it by grumbling. <laughs> I did all that work. Nobody noticed. Might as well not even have done it. Well, I'm going to offer them hospitality, but I cannot believe the way they, they took what I gave them and don't even give it to them. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Let's read on. Verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others, to be faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So in rapid fire, what do we do with this? You see, every believer has been given a gift. Look in the text right there. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received. There is a gift that God has given to you. 
Now, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12 and some in 14 and a couple other places. There's spiritual gifts, yes. But it's not just spiritual gifts, it's abilities, it's talents. And, and this word in Greek, this gift, is the same word that we often use for grace. So this gift you have been given is, is a grace gift. It's, it's a favor that you don't deserve. It's not yours. Some of you have been given the gift, the ability, the talent, the skill to build wealth. It's not yours. I think I earned it. How did you earn it? Hard work. My brain. Who gave you those? Some of you are good with people. You can listen well. You can attract people. You can influence people. That is a grace gift that God has given to you. You are to serve others with that grace gift. It's not even yours. Like last I looked, they... They were attracted to me, not the other person. God gave you that gift. Use it to serve somebody else. Some of you are gifted with your hands. You can craft things. You can fashion things. Everything from an artist to a farmer, you can put your hand to it, and you can make something that wasn't there before. Use it to serve somebody beside yourself. God has given you that gift. Invest it in somebody else. Not only does every believer have a gift, we are to use our gift to serve others. Over 1,100 times in our English Bible, the word serve is used. It's not this obscure thing somewhere. It's, it's a pattern of who we are over and over in the things of Christ. Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my very life away as a ransom. I like what D.L. Moody says. He says, the measure of a man is not how many people serve him, but how many men he serves. How are you gauging your life? There's a story of this guy who, who went away from his hometown, went to the big city, and he got a big job, and he wrote a letter back home telling everybody about his job of how many people he had under him. Everybody was impressed. He's a big shot in the city, and the news spread around the town. And then when he came back and he informed them what his job was, that he mowed the lawn of a cemetery there in the big city, they began to see that when he said he had 300 people underneath him, it wasn't that he was the boss of everybody. It doesn't matter who's underneath you. It doesn't matter who you have charge over as much as it is of how many people you are serving. See, one says, notice me. The other says, I notice a need. Which basin are you living out of? You see, you'll never be more like Jesus than when you serve. You and I are responsible for the gift that God has given to us. Now, now notice this in the text. It says there, um, use your gift to serve one another, faithfully administering God's grace. Another translation says, as good stewards of God's grace. Now, this should jolt you. A good steward, literally here in the, in the original language, means the household manager. You are a manager of the household of God. You are a steward of what he's given to you. It is not yours. God has blessed you with it. It's not even yours to have attention drawn to you. Use that gift for the sake of somebody else. Two thoughts, and I'll be through today. When we think of a message like this, we say, well, I'm just going to grin and bear it. I want to work harder. I'm going to be a better servant. I'm just going to work, do my best. There's the other side of the category. Of people say, well, I don't know that I can do that. I, I just... I'm not good enough. Look at verse 11. I want you to see how much that God is counting on you to do this. Verse 11 says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as one speaks the very words of God. I just don't know what to say if I would serve there. 
You don't need to know what to say. God will give you the words. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides. I'm just so busy. I'm just so tired. Well, good. Don't use your strength. Use God's. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, when we serve, two things happen. God is glorified in us, and God brings glory to his name. That's the end of the official teaching today. But I just want to give you an opportunity there in your seats to answer a question that was asked about 20-some minutes ago. What basin are you living out of? Not how many things are on your schedule that you volunteer for at church or in the community. Because, see, you can volunteer and still put on the bib of celebrity. You know this when it gets to the end of that season at the uh, banquet. Nobody called your name. It begins to affect you. You begin to get a little bit hacked off about it. Was I serving because I saw a need and to have the attitude of Christ? Or have attention drawn to me? Who are you serving? Yourself? Or somebody else? Are you ready to trade in your bib of celebrity for an apron of servanthood? Or will you allow the enemy to keep a foothold in your life and allow you to be upset over and over and over again? As we're up on this Thanksgiving week, as I prayed for you this morning, I realized that some of us have families that when we go to, it's a tremendous blessing to us. And I thank God that you have that kind of family. Others of us, It makes you cringe to think about what's to come. Because you've got that person who's there who's difficult. If nobody in your family is difficult, it may be you. You may be the difficult person. (laughs) But as we move into this week, what if we would look for opportunities to put on an apron and just tuck the bib away and not keep it? Throw away the scorecard of what they've done or what they have or haven't said or the way they have lived or haven't lived. What if we would just say, is there a need? Can I serve you? And if Jesus would take one step of obedience and build it into a lifestyle, it may just change us. It may just change our family. It may just change our church. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. For the example you gave us in Christ. Where we read of the account where at that meal time, when everybody was focused on the Passover meal, the greatest celebration for the Jewish community at the time, ready to dive in, Jesus was hungry to teach them what it means to humble themselves and serve someone else. Father, I pray that you'll contrast that with some of the images of Pilate washing his hands and his basin in our life. I pray that we will not serve out of some kind of guilt. We will not serve out of some kind of responsibility that we have to get caught up into, but we will serve because we are hungry to be more like Jesus. Father, I admit, at least in my personality, there may be others in this room, right about now in this cry to you, We start making all these promises and we start making checklists of what we're going to do. Jesus, I pray you'll remind us of of the words in 1 Peter 4. It's in your strength that you've called us to serve. So if we can do it and we're not tired, we're not doing enough. Because we should need your strength. 
The people we reach out to, if they don't challenge us and don't frustrate us, then maybe we are not reaching the people that you've called us to because we will need your strength to do it. I pray that you will give strength to those today who need it. But Lord, I pray that we will see, regardless of the attitude that we have had, you have day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out, taken the towel from your waist, you have washed our feet, you have provided fresh new manna for us, even when we had a rotten, spoiled, baby attitude wearing a bib. I pray that you'll teach us to love people the way you've loved us. It's in your powerful name we pray today. Amen. Amen.